Welcome to Extraordinary People, the podcast that highlights people who inspire others, have made significant contributions to the world, or who have overcome adversity. This show is hosted by Shirley Bogtel, author, educator, wife, mother, and grandparent. Learn more and subscribe today at ShirleyWachtel.com. And now, here's my grandma, Shirley Wachtel. Welcome, Santi Buscemi. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Um, I'm just so delighted uh, to welcome you to my very first podcast of Extraordinary People, because uh, I have known for a long time that you truly are one of those extraordinary people. Um, As an educator, um, you have inspired me. You are a role model uh, for myself and um, many, many others, and you inspire your students every single day. So it's just a thrill for me to have you on today. Well, thank you very much for those very kind words, Shirley. Those are, uh, I think, uh, I, I, I really appreciate your, your saying all that. Um, I think maybe you're praising me too much, but that's okay. <laughs> Not uh, at all. I, uh, I appreciate it very much. Not at all. So I, I'd like to begin our discussion um, with uh, giving our audience a little bit of your background. And I want to go way back because I'm curious about this as well. Um, you are very active um, in not only uh, academics, but also in the Italian-American community. And that goes back to your Sicilian roots. But I, I really would like to know how you got interested in, um, in literature, in reading, in what was it in your, your own family and your own roots that inspired you? Okay. Well, my dad um, never went beyond the seventh grade in Sicily. He, when he came to this country, uh, he went right to work. Um, he was about 14 years old. And he went right to work. And uh, uh, he always had a love for literature. And he had a love for languages. And in fact, he spoke about, he, he had knowledge of about five languages. And I still have some of his um, papers that he uh, wrote This is out of school. And he wrote in Latin. So it tells you what mm-hmm. kind of a man he was. he was. He was really, he could have been a great scholar. Uh, but he didn't have the opportunities. But he did uh, open to uh, his family um, a great deal of culture, especially European culture. Um, he uh, uh, sh- showed us, in fact, uh, what great contributions the Europeans had made, especially the Italians, of course. And so from that, I think I got a, a love of literature. I went to um, college at St. Bonaventure University, um, and I was majored in pre-law. I was going to be a, a, law, a lawyer, but then I changed my mind because I started to have courses in literature uh, as an English major. That was pre-law, and I fell in love with literature. And so uh, I changed my mind, and I went to graduate school after that. Hmm. So that's how I that's how I got it all. Well, yeah. Okay, and you continued with your love for um, reading, and then how did um, you get into um, the college scene? How did I get into, the, oh, how did I become a college professor, mm-hmm. you mean? Yes. Okay, well, I went to the University of, uh, 
I, I, when I went to St. Bonaventure, I was inspired by a, a mentor I had. His name was Boyd Litzinger, and um, he inspired me. And he, um, he had gone to the University of Tennessee for his graduate study and had some uh, friends there. And through him, I got a, a fellowship to go to graduate school at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. It was an NDEA fellowship, National Defense Education Act fellowship. And um, so I did my graduate work down there. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And, and then I, uh, from there, I, went, I moved to uh, uh, Washington, D.C., where I started teaching at a small um, private two-year college, a junior college. And then I came to Middlesex County College two years after that. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's my that's my story. And you've <laughs> been at Middlesex how many years now? Forty-seven. Forty-seven. My goodness, yeah. not a lot of people can yeah. say that about their jobs that they've been there. Yeah, that I long. know. Right. Well, it, the, the college has been very good to me. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, the college has been very very good to me. I met my wife at the college. Right. Uh, I, I made you know I made my living through the college. Right. Um, in many respects, they supported my my, my scholarly work as well. Uh, I was chairman, as, as you know, of yes, the English I department did. for twenty years. And you years. hired me way back then. Yes, I hired yes. you. That's right, Shirley. I hired you. I will That's always right. be grateful for and that. So, <laughs> and so and, and and so many other great teachers too. You're a great teacher, and um, you know uh, your co-author. Helena right, uh, Swanicky, right. very good teacher, and you know several others as well. I'm very proud of. It's a great, it's a great place uh, to grow. You know, it's a great place for scholarship to grow, and um, as well as friendships to grow. Yes, I made some lifelong friends there. Absolutely, uh, like 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 you and and and, and Helena and, and so many others um, uh, on the faculty. Jim Keller, for example. Yes. Uh, Barry Glazer, um, people like that, and you've been um, you've Jack- been a mentor to so many of us as well. Um, yes, coming yes. in, um, and I I'd like to focus turn our attention to the students, and I know you have right. many thoughts on that issue. Um, I'd like to know how do you think the student population has changed? How, what are their motivations? Have their motivations changed since you started? What year did you start at the college, Sandy? Uh, 1972. Okay. So you've seen yeah. a lot of changes since then. Yes. Um, yes. I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Well, from what I've seen, the students are coming to us. Um, I, I believe that they're less prepared in their basic um, skills uh, of reading, writing, and of course, and I think uh, our colleagues would say mathematics as well. Um, and why is that? Uh, I think because they are uh, right now so bombarded with other um, other influences. The, the internet, the Facebook, the, you know, the social media garbage. Uh, and they, they are not um, reading as much. They're not writing as much. Um, and uh, I think that that, uh, that has been seen in the last, especially the last decade and a half, especially in the last decade and a half. Um, also, our students, you know, uh, I think our students are, are special as are 
all community college students, yes. because they they you know ninety five percent of them have to work, and uh, their work often interferes with their studies, uh, or they have uh, families to raise, or they come from broken homes, or you know the, uh, every one of my students has a story that uh, of events in their lives that uh, conflict with and take away from um, their their uh, passion to study. The, the other thing that I've noticed, too, was way back when I found that students were there um, to learn, uh, to uh, learn, get a degree, and then go on to another four-year degree. Uh, and, and there was a love of learning that I saw. I don't see that anymore. What I see now is an, the idea of trying to get a job uh, and uh, make a lot of money as soon as possible. Mm. Uh, and that uh, I understand why that is. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I cannot blame them for that, uh, considering where many of these students come from. You know, the kinds that they come from uh, poor families or lower middle class families. Uh, they have they don't have very much, and they they want to they want to rise, which is the American dream, and I understand that. But I wish there was more <laughs> more of love of learning so, itself. So there, re- there isn't some in regard to know. that issue. Um, many people believe that the role of a community college is just that, to prepare students for uh, jobs, to be good workers. And um, you see it, though, as something more than that, though. I I think it's more than that. I mean, I understand. I mean, look, that's part of it. There's no question about it. And, you know, whatever college a student goes to, I think they, they, you know, today people with all the debt that these students have, my goodness, I think that they uh, they want to have careers where they earn um, a good salary and where they have a good living. I understand that, uh, but I, I uh, w- that and then that's not just community colleges, but it's um, it's all colleges. However, for, for, for in the community college, what the community college stands for, as far as I'm concerned, is the opportunity. Community college is, is the answer to the American dream, as far as I'm concerned. I'm yes, concerned. I agree with you. Because, because it, it, it takes students who, 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 had, who have great potential, who have very little money, and, and who may not have come from a collegiate family. Uh, and for the first, this is their first time, this is the first uh, person in the family who has gone to college. And it gives them the opportunity to, to rise. Now, um, Again, I cannot blame them for wanting to be trained in certain skills. Okay, I, 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 you know, that I understand why they're doing that because they want to have uh, uh, careers that are uh, monetarily rewarding. All right, that's that's clear. My problem is that I don't think that um, we are stressing enough the concept that um, these students have to learn how to think. Mm-hmm. How to learn how to face different situations in life, how to be good citizens, and, and when I say how to learn how to think, uh, I want to I want to say this. You know, the world is changing very quickly, much more quickly than when I was a, a young man. Okay, mm-hmm. much quicker. All right. So the what 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 the what 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 what's what's um, computer science today is not what what computer science is going to be ten years from now. What marketing is today is not going to be what marketing is going to ten years from now. You know, um, science. Business, uh, commerce—they're changing. Uh, government changing very, very quickly. Absolutely, Health, my goodness. Uh, so they have to be able to adapt. 
How do they adapt? They don't adapt by, by learning a set of skills. They learn, they learn to adapt by learning how to think and educate themselves afterwards. I tell my students all the time, you know, you finish here two years, you finish four years, you get a PhD even, right? Hmm. You don't stop learning till the day you die. Oh, right. That's true. That's you know, you don't true. stop learning till the day you die. Mm-hmm. So that's, that, that's, that's my take on it. Okay. So now that we, we understand what the problem is, how do we attack this problem? How do, what, what suggestions, you know, with all of your experience as an educator and working with um, a diverse population who's, as you've just said, their needs have right. changed so much um, throughout the years, what's the best way to go about it? We've had a, a number of discussions on this, um, you know, how technology can be both a help and a hindrance in, in right. moving forward with our students. So um, what would you suggest that, that we do now? What direction should we take these students in to help them and to help us achieve our goals? Well, the first thing we do the first thing that we have to do, and that I do not think we're doing, is to enforcing um, standards of performance in all areas. Yes. This is especially true of the basics, the mathematics, the reading, the, the, the writing. You know, with those three skills, they can educate themselves, honest to God. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, um, uh, uh, I, 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 you know I, my students... Are not not all, not all brilliant, but I, I do have some very very good students, and I see how they progress. On I, they can progress on their own if they're given the opportunity to do so, and if they're given the tools to do so. So I think the first thing that we have to do is maintain our standards. The second thing that we have to do is to make maintain a closer relationship with the high schools, and and to tell them what we expect of their students when they come to us. Uh, and I, you and I, I remember we had some um, success with that right. back in back way back uh, maybe ten or fifteen years ago. Right. And I think I think that our department now with Matt Spano we're starting that once again, and I, I think that's a very hopeful sign. Yes. A very hopeful sign. So um, those 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 things. Um, uh, I, I think also. Uh, uh, I think we have to uh, we have to train our teachers. That's extremely important. The teachers have to be trained, and that doesn't mean that they go to a school where they learn you know education courses. I don't mean that. I mean they have to be trained on the job, and they have to be talking to each other about their standards, about what the curriculum uh, contains, about what student needs are. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I don't see that. I don't see that in our department, and I don't see that in other departments either. Okay. We used to do that. We used to do, we used to talk them we, because we had, we had so many different, we, we had these cross grading sessions that we used to have, right? Mm-hmm. That was an yes. opportunity for people to talk to each other about their standards, about what they teach in classes, about their student needs, yes, about what their students are going through. Okay. Right. We don't do enough of that. And we had we talk, students come in and uh, we had feedback sections, as I absolutely. recall, with the students absolutely. telling us what, what um, is working for them and what's not. Exactly right. Exactly right. We used to have, I'm, I'm, I used to enjoy those very, very much. I know that you were in charge of that for a for while. A and you brought years. students to us. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a fabulous thing. I think we should continue that. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it, it is a problem because you know you want these students, especially with the developmental courses, you know, because students often see the, these courses as an obstacle to getting into their quote unquote real classes. Right. And um, well, yeah, yes. So yes, they, they see it as an obstacle rather than an opportunity. Right. So, um, but the way things are going. We're trying to cut down on those classes, not only in the English department and throughout throughout the all the colleges. I think this is this is a, a constant, yes. and uh, as well as in the ESL uh, or those ESL yes. classes. So, so what what should we do? I mean, it, it seems we're. What? A lot of times we are moving in the wrong direction because we end up having the stu- our students um, who are now in uh, Comp 1 classes, and we're, we often, we're disheartened by some of the work right. that they're producing. So again, right. what, what's the answer? Okay, the, uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I know the answer, <laughs> to be <laughs> honest, on the but I can tell you what, what we should try. And as I, as I say again, I think teachers have to talk to each other about their standards. I think that the ESL teachers and English teachers have to do that. But also, many people in our department, from what I'm hearing lately, you know, um, some, of the, uh, some of the newer people are not interested in enforcing the basics. I heard one person say in a meeting that what was more important are the students' ideas, not mm-hmm. how they write. Right. And I, I was I was I was flabbergasted by that. I was flabbergasted because that that's just not true. That goes that flies in the face of everything that we know of all the research. Mm-hmm. Look, we don't you know, these students are not philosophers. They're 18 year old kids. Most of them, 19 year old, 20 year old kids. Right. That's that's who they are. Their ideas are not profound. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. But their ideas are not profound. Right. All right. Right. All right. Their ideas might may someday be profound. <laughs> right. They may someday contribute. I, you know, right? They may someday contribute. But to get to that point, they have to have the basics first. Mm-hmm. And unless we, unless we sit down and, and, and enforce those, those kinds of rules uh, on our faculty and, and, and come to an agreement as a faculty about where we are going, what our objectives are. You know, we have we've been through for the last four or five years, we've been through this um, – this process of refining our of learning objectives, learning that's fine. You put it on a paper, but what's going on in the classroom? What's going on when a student, when a faculty member grades a paper? What's going on? You know, I I I, I did a couple of observations this semester for for Matt Spano because uh, they were a little overwhelmed. So I, nobody's teaching grammar. Mm-hmm. Nobody's teaching grammar. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I, I, and you wrote a grammar and, book you know, <laughs> that we've been using for a while, but uh, it's you yeah, find I, that people aren't teaching it anymore, though. No, they're not, mm-hmm. and they're not teaching it in high school. And I, and I'm afraid. I want to tell you something. I don't think the high school teachers know grammar. Mm-hmm. I'll be very honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, not 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 now. It's a bold here, statement. I'm, I'm generalizing. I'm mm-hmm. generalizing. Okay. Right. I, I don't want to impugn. I don't want to impugn. You know all the. Right. High school teachers. That's not right. Right. But I don't think that we're teaching the basics in the schools. I mean, when my students cannot pick out a noun and a, a, a subject and a verb and a sentence, these are college students, second semester English composition students. They can't pick. I mean, it's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Uh, uh, and and uh, 
I know, listen, I know that that stuff is not interesting to teach. I know it's boring. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's not boring for me because I'm, I'm an odd person, <laughs> but, but no comment. But, but I know, I know it's boring. You know, I understand that, to that, but it doesn't matter. Education does not have to be interesting all the time. Okay. Education does not have to be interesting all the time. Right. It's as simple as that. Yes. Okay. That's the, that's the bare fact. Okay. You have to learn certain things that, you know, this is common sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you can have I mean, the best ideas, I tell my students all the time. You have, can have the most wonderful ideas, but if you cannot communicate them, it's worthless. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Ex- exactly. So exactly. we need, we need so, to get back to that, those, those yes. uh, basics then, like the name That's of right. your book, That's The right. Basics. So, yes, I, we need to, we need, and we need to make an agreement, an understanding. We need to establish an understanding among the faculty not only our faculty, but faculties of the high schools, the grammar schools, all the way back, that we are going to be on this path. And I don't see that in this country anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's what scares me. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what scares me. I, my, 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 uh, there is, however, I mean, there are places where this is being taught. And you know, my little granddaughter goes to uh, uh, a, school, a private school, and she's learning this stuff there. She knows, mm-hmm. she knows more about grammar and sentence structure and writing than my, some of my students do. And she's only in sixth grade. Mm. I'll be honest with you. Mm. I mean, I read some of her essays, you know. Right. And Jim Keller, Jim Keller says the same thing about uh, his his son, his son who goes to South Brunswick High School, by the way. Mm. But his his son is 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 learning uh, some uh, how to write. I believe he was telling me that. Right. So you know, there are there are places. There's hope. There's always hope. I agree with you because by just pushing these students uh, through, we and and you know what? At some point, the students get it too. They, they you Absolutely. know, I say we're doing we're doing you a disservice. You have been done a disservice if you're yes. not getting getting those basics. And uh, and I think beyond that, we want to do well by our students because I think you'd agree with me. Our students are just the best. They're, they're oh. good people. They, they want, a oh, lot of them want kids, to learn. Um, let me tell you something. These kids um, uh, 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 have to work 15, 20, 30, sometimes full-time, and they go to school full-time. They're, they're helping their families. The stories I've heard about the, what these students do is unbelievable. Mm. It's unbelievable. These are not spoiled brats. Yes. Who are, you know, who, who, uh, these are not, you know, the children of rich families you know, sent off to uh, Princeton or, uh, you know, or NYU or, you know, whatever, and, uh, and, and pampered. They're not. They're not. Um, many of them, they're very independent, uh, and uh, I'm proud of so many of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some of them, however, I must say this too, some of them simply are not college material. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna, I mean, to be honest, be honest. Right. They're, not, they're, they're not college material. However, and we do them a disservice by telling them that they are, mm-hmm. because this, these, these students that I'm talking about now, they could be out learning a trade, electrician, plumber, carpenter, mason. Yes. These, these are very, very lucrative trades. Oh, yes. I mean, very lucrative trades. I mean, I, if I, I bring an electrician in my house, a professional electrician, he charged me $120 an hour. Right. That's a lot of money. Right. Now, he doesn't get all that from the company he works for, but he probably makes 70, 80. Right. That's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a very good salary. And, and why shouldn't those people who are not, you know, inclined 
to college work, let's put it that way, why shouldn't they have a good life too? Mm-hmm. And we are doing them a disservice by not telling them that. But we should. What, what I've always, I've always advocated is that when a student is separated from the college, okay, well, you know, dismissed or you know, or drops out voluntarily, I always think that we should have an interview with the student and explain to him or her their options, what's out there for them. This doesn't necessarily mean coming back to Middlesex in two years. Sometimes it does. Right. Sometimes they mature, and that's fine. It doesn't mean, you know, it could mean going on a vocational path, mm-hmm. which can make you very lucrative. And, you know, there are, there are people who never, never graduated from high school. They're millionaires today mm-hmm. because they, they worked hard and they built businesses. And they were, you know, they were smart in that area. Right. <clears throat> they were good electricians. They were good plumbers, whatever. Right. Okay. Are you, by the way, you can't get a mason today. You try to get a mason today. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I've had a you little know. problems getting a mason, actually. You know, you can't too. try to get yeah. a mason today. You know, yeah. uh, it's, un- it's unbelievable. It, to tell you, too, how times have changed. I just translated a book in Italian about the Italian-American Masons Union in uh, New York City. Hmm. It was a, a ten-year, the, the, union, the ten-year history of the union, its first ten years of uh, existence. And... Uh, these guys worked their, their butts off, and they were treated horribly. Today, you know, today, Masons don't live in poverty. Masons make $100 an hour. Are you mm-hmm. kidding me? So you mentioned, let's, let's just switch gears for a moment. You mentioned okay. um, your books, and um, I know you began with uh, writing textbooks. Um, right. before the translation. So um, right. tell us a little bit about that and then how you kind of uh, got interested in uh, writing translations of uh, great books of literature. Okay. Well, I, um, I started as a textbook author, as you know, mm-hmm. and I started because uh, one of the reps from McGraw-Hill sort of um, inspired me to, um, to write something. They had a little project. It was called a test bank at McGraw-Hill that would accompany a, um, a, uh, a, a handbook that was out. Uh, the handbook was, the author was Harvey Wiener, who was a great educator in the city of New York. Anyway, I wrote the test bank for that, and they liked that. And I wrote a couple of other things like that, auxiliary pieces to other textbooks. And then finally, they, they asked me if I would write a textbook. Uh, and uh, um, I, had, I had one in mind, and it was... Uh, a reader for, for developing writers. It was my first textbook. And, um, because I felt that, um, the, the students who were in developmental writing at our college did not have a good textbook to follow. Mm -hmm. And so that was a success. And then, then I went on to write, um, um, then I I also had a textbook called 75 readings, uh, which was for freshmen. And then we had the basics. And then I did another, another one called writing today. Um, so, uh, all of those, um, all those textbooks gave me a lot of experience. I uh, made a couple of bucks from them mm-hmm. as well. Uh, and I use them in class. I still use my, my own textbook in class. Just let me but, uh, ask you if I yeah. could just interrupt one moment. Are yeah. these textbooks available online? And just your thoughts on online learning. Uh, yeah, many of these textbooks are still online. Um, mm-hmm. My last, my, my, uh, the eighth edition of A Reader for College Writers now it is just came out this fall and it's online and I, you know, I, some of my students have it on their phones. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. which which I you know I, is, is very it's mind boggling to me. But all right, they want to use mm-hmm. the, I don't care how they use the textbook mm-hmm. as long as they use the textbook. Okay, um, uh, so uh, some of them have it on their tablets, on their computers, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I think that's a good thing. I okay. think that's a very good thing. Um, uh, I, I, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I know this uh, quite often that students sell their textbooks after they're finished. When some of these textbooks, especially the grammar handbooks and things like that, they should keep for the rest of their uh, their lives, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. as references because yeah. grammar doesn't change not right. that much. I tell them you know? the same so, thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, same thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, uh, but but I I'm I'm glad that they that it is uh, available to them electronically uh, because they're inclined to do that. Many of them don't like many of them don't like paper. Many do like paper. So you give them a variety, and that's fine. Okay. I have no problem with that. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. how did you get into the translations? I'm curious to ah, hear about ah, that. Ah, there's, there's a story. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. So, uh, as you know, I, I stepped down from the chairmanship, and I had always wanted to, uh, not, and I had some extra time now, now that I'm a faculty member, um, the, the, the workload was much less. So I always had wanted to write uh, an anthology of Sicilian literature in translation, because I am Sicilian. We, you know, we're very, very proud of our heritage and our family. And so I, I went on, uh, and it was going to be like an anthology, like some of my textbooks. You know, I was going to piggyback off that. I was going to write, you know, short stories and poems, and put them into an anthology of Sicilian literature. So I got on the, I got on the internet, and I was look, looking for um, various authors in Sicily, because I didn't really know much about Sicilian literature. You know, my father had always told me that the Sicilians were the first ones to write in an Italianate tongue. I didn't believe him, but he was true. <laughs> it was true. We, my father was right, and I was wrong, as usual. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, so um, uh, anyway, I got on the internet, and I, and I came upon a, a man called Luigi Capuana. And Capuana, uh, I remembered that name. I had been in Sicily in 1976, and I, was, uh, stood with my, I stayed with my aunt and uncle at that particular time. And they lived on a street called Capuana. And I asked, uh, I asked uh, Luigi Capuana, and I asked my aunt, I said, who, who's this Luigi Capuana? Was he a military man, admiral, what, president of the Republic? She said, no, a scrittore, a writer. Mm. I said, oh, that's the Luigi. Okay. So I started looking in there, and I found that very little was translated. But I noticed that he had, he had published a lot of fairy tales. And I said, Maybe, maybe I could, you know, try this. I'll try it myself. Let me see if I can uh, translate them. Because I have some knowledge of Italian, which uh, not, I didn't have a lot because my first language was Sicilian, which is a little bit, it's different than Italian. So I, I started translating them. And I, I got into it so much. I was so excited about it. I got, it was so enjoyable to do this. Uh, that they are so fascinating, these tales, number one. And number two, I was, you know, learning a new language. So I I, uh, I did I did uh, translate all twenty of his tales in this one book um, called Once Upon a Time in English, and it, it that and that was published later as Sicilian Tales. I, I first sent out these um, uh, manuscripts to some journals, um, and they were published. Uh, individual pieces were published, and then finally I got a um, I found an, uh, a publisher up in Boston. Uh, Dante uh, University of America Press, and brand, and then the other, and, and they have another a label called Branded Books as well. 
or it's the other way around. It's Brandon Books that has the label Dante University of America Press, and they published it, published the twenty fairy tales as Sicilian tales. Uh, after that, I published with the same publisher uh, a thing called The Marquis of Rocaverdina, which is a novel, very different from the fairy tales. It's a very dark novel, dark, a novel about revenge, madness, sexuality, uh, 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 political oppression, and, and, and mo- uh, more than anything else, guilt. It really is mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the recording of, of the the death of a soul, of a human soul, how a human soul falls down into the depths of evil. Uh, it's a brilliant, um, a brilliant depiction of this journey. I've read Capuana. your translation, and uh, it, it was just like fascinating uh, tale yes. and like nothing yes. that I've ever yes. read before. Yes, it's, it's, very, it's very, very odd. It's, a, it's very, very unique. Let me, put, let me say it's unique mm-hmm. in that sense, Be, you know, because the premise is that this, you know, this nobleman in Sicily um, cannot marry his mistress whom he deeply loves. He's crazy about her. But he cannot marry her because of um, social social concerns. He's a nobleman. She's a peasant, an illiterate peasant, and uh, that conflict uh, creates, you know, blows up in his face and causes him to fall into the depths of despair, guilt. Um, he, he commits murder. Oh, it's a fascinating book, and it's it is Capuana's. Uh, what they call him Italian cup. Uh, Capolavoro, which means masterpiece. Mm-hmm. It is his masterpiece. And then I went on after that, and I'm still translating Capuana. I, I did I did a, a book called Portraits of Women, uh, which was his f- very first uh, uh, full length piece. It's 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 five novellas, and it's about uh, he, uh, portraits of women. It's exactly who it what it is. Uh, these individual women whom he really delineates very very well, mm. and. Uh, I learned from that that Capuana really Capuana thinks women are better than men. No question <laughs> about it. All of his her- no, all of his heroes mm. are women. They're, right. The men are not. And uh, anyway, so that was very interesting for me. And then I did then I I did a, a book um, called his Sicilian plays. He wrote plays. He wrote about fourteen of them, but they were in Sicilian. And so that was a different kind of translation for me. I had to go back and to my Sicilian roots. And uh, there are not too many Sicilian dictionaries out there, so mm-hmm. I, I, I struggled. But that was published as well. And then I just finished um, a book. His, first, his very first novel is called Yacinta, which means Hyacinth. This, it was about a woman whose name is Hyacinth. And as a young girl, she's raped uh, by a family servant. She must be 10 or 15 years old at the time. Uh, it, it, he doesn't specify. Uh, and it's about... Um, her again, her uh, trying to overcome this, which she feels is guilt. She feels it's her own guilt that made him do this. And you see her, her depicted throughout the novel as a brilliant, beautiful woman uh, who uh, really a very, very strong woman uh, who succumbs at the end to um, the forces of evil in the universe. Let me put it that way. (laughs) And but it's a it's a and it, it too is a beautiful book, so that's going to come out I think uh, early early winter. 
Oh, that's wonderful. And yeah, uh, yeah. you have to have a so, book signing at, uh, at the college yeah, yeah, we'll have a sign. on that we'll have one. A sign. And you've really introduced yeah. a whole new audience uh, uh, yeah, to yeah. to these works, and, and we are, right. we're really grateful for that. Yeah, well, thanks. Santi, I... I this has been such a fascinating talk, and I knew I made the right decision asking you to be oh, my thanks. first guest. And um, I, I thank you so much well, for your time before today. We go, before yes. we go, do you have a, a minute to tell you about Scalia? Uh, sure. <laughs> sure, okay. go okay. ahead. So uh, I, um, I sent the two books, the first two books I translated to, Antonin Scalia, The Justice of the Supreme Court, because I knew he was Sicilian. And he, he wrote back to me. He said, thank you very much for the books. It, happen, it so happens that my father wrote his doctoral dissertation at Columbia University on Luigi Capuana. Mm-hmm. And if you'd like a copy of the dissertation, I'll send it to you. But you have to return it. So he sent it to me, and I read the whole dissertation, and I very carefully put it back in this bubble wrap every night. You know? And then I, I called his office, and I said, I don't want to send this back through the mail because I'm afraid it's get, get lost, and it's his only copy can I come down there and hand it to him personally? And he said, absolutely. So my wife and I went down. We spent about a half an hour with him in his office. And as we were leaving, uh, he told me that he had 42 grandchildren. I said, well, I only have two. I said, my grandson, Matthew, would have loved to have met you. So he said, well, why don't you bring him? I said, I I don't know. know." So he said, "You you have to come back. So we came back a year later and we were guests of his in the court. We heard two court cases my wife, myself, and my grandson, Matthew. And then he, he hosted us in his chambers for lunch. Hmm. And we had lunch with him in his chambers, and then they took us on a tour of the Supreme Court. It was a marvelous, marvelous uh, experience that, that this, I never, you know, I never expected this. And, yes. You know, it just tells you what serendipity can, yes. can, can, can create. So well, Once-in-a-lifetime experience, unforgettable. Yes, it was. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, thank you again so much, Santi, uh, for your oh. time. And um, I really appreciate, I'm sure our audience uh, has appreciated listening to your thoughts on so many things. And right. uh, I'll see you next week on Monday in class. Yes. <laughs> Yes, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Shirley, I'm honored that I'm your first guest. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Extraordinary People. To learn more about Shirley Wachtel and to subscribe to the show, head to ShirleyWachtel.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Extraordinary People. Extraordinary People.